0: Let's start with this. So don't talk during these instructions I'm about to give you, okay? Even if you know kind of what I'm doing, don't talk during these instructions. So pick a number, I want everybody in the room to pick a number between one and 10. Pick a number between one, in your mind, don't say it out loud. And then now I want you to multiply it by nine. Multiply. Oh, I just lost half the room. <laughs> Multiply it by nine, all right? To, to use your fingers if you need to, all right? Take that, take that number, multiply it by nine. The nines were always hardest to get to in elementary school, right? Because you got to everything else first. Multiply it by nine. Now, if, if, if uh, there's two numbers when you multiply it by nine, then add them together to make one number, okay? Just add the two numbers together, okay? You got that number in your mind, okay? So you got that number. Now subtract five from the number, Are you still with me? Subtract five from that number. So now I want you to assign a letter to that number. So if, if one is A, two is B, three is C, right? Keep going down the alphabet and assign your number a letter just as it goes down the alphabet. Does that make sense? Is everybody with me still? Okay. Think of a country now that starts with that letter. Okay. Think of a country that starts with that letter. You got it? You got it in your mind? What country starts with that letter? Think of the second letter of that country. Think of the second letter of that country. Okay, you got that in your mind? Okay, all right. Now, think of a mammal that, that actually starts with that letter. Think of a mammal that starts with that letter, something that you know, walks on the, uh, on the land, and a mammal that, 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 that starts with that letter that you got in your mind. And then finally, think of the color of that animal. You got it? You got it? All right, how many of you came up with this answer? How many came, how many, come on, how many came up with this answer? How many of you? The rest of you got lost at multiplication. <laughs> I know. You are super impressed with your pastor now. I always was, thank you, you're so sweet. Here's the thing, Here's, here's here's the point. Sometimes in our faith, we get what seems like crazy instructions. Don't we, like we're asked to do things that frankly, sometimes are really hard. In our faith, at some point, you know, it becomes clear and it makes sense down the road, but the question is, are you willing to trust God long enough to see the answer to keep going last week we started a new series called a legacy of light and uh, we're talking about helping others see who God is and and it's it's interesting because you and I will have a legacy no matter what we do you will have a good legacy or you will have a bad legacy (laughs) You'll, you'll it'll be great or it'll be terrible and we like to define legacy like this what will people say about you when you're gone what will you do that outlasts yourself? Did you invest in others enough to make a real difference in the world? And here's the problem, we are so easily distracted, we get myopic in our view of life. Sometimes we, we feel like we're, you know, we're just consumed with ourselves. We've all sort of been through about 18 months of just being isolated in many ways. And, and that's why we have, uh, we have to like lift our eyes and see what God is doing with us long term. And so that's why we do a series every single year called Legacy, and we talk about our personal legacies as people, and we talk about our church legacy. And every single one of us have to see that our lives matter, that we have meaning in this world if we're only willing to look deep inside and realize what God wants from us, that he wants us to light up the world with his love. And that's how Jesus described it in John 8:12. He says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Like so many people are walking in darkness and they need the light of life and you have it. We wanna be be the kind of people that live a life beyond ourselves and make a real difference in the lives of others. Today we wanna remember, we wanna remember that there's more to this life than just this life. There's something more. Our legacy matters in the next life. And the Bible uses this motivation for legacy, for compassion, for generosity. And so in December, it's the one time of year. Everybody say one time a year. One time a year, we give in a special offering. It's called our legacy offering. It's going to be on December 6th this year. All right, so uh, we do this to help our church take a giant step forward to reach our city to take the gospel into places where it might not be, uh, to leave a legacy that outlasts us, to do what God called us to do in the vision he gave us. And I'm telling you this now because I want you to pray about it. I I don't want you to be pressured, I want you to pray. I want you to think about it. I want you to evaluate. I don't want you to be under compulsion to give or be forced to do something you're not interested in doing. That's not giving. That's something else. But I want you to be willing. It's so important that you understand that giving only works if you're willing. This is how Paul the Apostle said it in 2 Corinthians 9, 7. He said, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a what? A grumpy giver. No, a cheerful giver. If you're not willing, there's something that... It, that you that you wander into that's religious or ritualistic or legalistic. And we, that's not what we're doing here at One Chapel. And so we, what I simply want you to do is six weeks out, I simply want you to pray about it, ask God what to give, and then do that. It's no more complicated than that. This year we're thinking a lot about how we can engage more in the, city and the region around us and, and engage in a way that meets needs in a greater way than we've ever done before. Here's one of the things that I'm dreaming about. I would love, there's, there's a Mobile Loaves and Fishes is a ministry here, been here for many, many years in the city. It's an incredible ministry and it feeds people all over the city. You know, you, we can, as a church, we could buy a truck that's outfitted to feed people. We could purchase that truck and we get to use it wherever we want in this city to take it to needy places and feed people. I'd love to do that. That would be a fun thing. We'd buy the truck, it get, comes outfitted. Uh, we're, we've already built a home at Community First Village, which is a a, a place where there. are pulling people out of chronic homelessness and placing them in community. You already purchased a home last year and we're thinking of doing that again. We have huge plans for this property. Hey, all of you who were here at Trunk or Treat night, did you see it? Did you see the vision? people hanging around, people just enjoying each other. The whole front was full of lights and it was just so beautiful. There's so much we can do to make this place a community-oriented place. I want our neighbors to think that we're the best neighbors there is. We got some work to do, just so you know. (laughs) You need to pray about that. but I want this place to feel like a community park and they could walk their dogs on this trail that's gonna go around the seven and a half acres that's here and we got work to do to make that happen, but here's what I want, that's a prayer trail and they're gonna be walking their little dog all the way around the trail. Little do they know they've been prayed over hundreds of times because you and I are walking that trail and praying. That's I want that kind of thing to happen here. The other big thing that I want you to see that we could do if we have what we need to, to make it happen is we want to make another huge investment in the kids' ministry and the next generation of one chapel. They, we, need, we need new stuff in every room. We need an industrial-sized playscape outside to make this park a reality, and that's kind of out there for us. So mark your calendars, pray about it, think about it, start setting aside something for the special legacy offering. If, it doesn't, doesn't matter what the amount is, right? Do something, Do everybody do something. It's an act of faith, and I think it'll be good for you. It'll be good for me. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for the scriptures. Thank you that as we open them, there will be power, there will be light, there will be revelation in our hearts, in every person here, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Today we're looking at the Old Testament passage of Isaiah 58 for our text because it is a powerful call to God's people, and more precisely, a correction. Everybody say correction. It's a a correction. They've gotten into some really bad habits and they're, they're worshiping in a way that is ritualistic, but not honest. And they've gotten into bad habits in the way they treat others. And so God's giving them a vision about who they can be and will be if only they'd care for the poor and embrace the marginalized and help the destitute and strengthen the weak. So I'm gonna read from the modern translation of the scriptures by Eugene Peterson. It's known as the Message Bible. And so you can follow along with me and your message notes are on the screen. All right, are you ready? Let's read it together. Isaiah 51, or 58 verse one says, shout a full-throated shout, hold nothing back. A trumpet blast shout, tell my people what's wrong with their lives. Face my family Jacob with their sins. They're busy, busy, busy at worship and love studying all about me. To all appearances, they're a nation of right-living people, law-abiding, God-honoring. They ask me what's the right thing to do and love having me on their side. But they also complain why do we fast and you don't look our way? For those of you who don't know what fasting is, it's going without food. It is a spiritual activity. It's fasting, uh, and you can fast more things than just food, but in the scriptures it was specifically you go without food and it is a worship act. It is denying yourself so that God can reveal himself to you. That's the activity. It's a worship activity. It says, why do we fast and don't, you don't look our way? Why do we humble ourselves and you don't even notice? Well, here's why. The bottom line on your fast days is profit. You drive your employees much too hard. You fast, but at the same time, you bicker and fight. You fast, but you swing a mean fist. The kind of fasting you do won't get your prayers off the ground. Do you think this is the kind of fast day I'm after? A day to show off humility? to put on a pious, long face and parade around solemnly in black? Do you call that fasting a fast day that I, God, would like? This is the kind of fast day I'm after. Now listen to this, because here's where it shifts to break the chains of injustice, to get rid of exploitation in the workplace, free the oppressed, cancel debts. What I'm interested in seeing you do is sharing your food with the hungry, inviting the homeless poor into your homes, putting clothes on the shivering ill-clad, being available to your own families. So many sermons. (coughs) Do this and the lights will turn on. Do this and the lights will turn on and your lives will turn around at once. Your righteousness will pave your way. The God of glory will secure your passage. Then when you pray, God will answer. You'll call out for help and I'll say, here I am. If you get rid of the unfair practices, quit blaming victims, quit gossiping about other people's sins, can I get an amen? Amen. If you are generous with the hungry and start giving yourselves to the down and out, your lives will begin to glow in the darkness. Your shadowed lives will be bathed in sunlight. I will always show you where to go. I'll give you a full life in the emptiest of places, firm muscles, strong bones. You'll be like a well-watered garden, a gurgling spring that never runs dry. You'll use the old rubble of past lives to build a new. Rebuild the foundations from out of your past. You'll be known as those who can fix anything. That is such a cool thing for a guy who doesn't know how to fix anything. You'll be the kind of person that has known how to fix anything, restore old ruins, rebuild and renovate, make the community livable again. If you watch your step on the Sabbath and don't use my holy day for personal advantage, if you treat the Sabbath as a day of joy, God's holy day as a celebration, if you honor it by refusing business as usual, making money, running here and there, then you'll be free to enjoy God. Oh, and I'll make you ride high and soar above it all. I'll make you feast on the inheritance of your ancestor Jacob yes God says so these are good words this is an incredible inspiration for you and for me as God's people we're not the first to have been found too busy for our own good we're not the first to have mistreated people and then come to worship and act like nothing happened We're not the first people who have gone through the the things that we're going through in our culture. But you know, several national studies of American churches have signaled a shift in attendance. And the pandemic has had a tremendously challenging impact on churches and businesses everywhere. One article I read a while back um, quoted David Kinnaman from Barna Research who predicted that one in five churches would face permanent closure within 18 months. One in five churches would face permanent closure in 18 months. That's 20%, 20% of churches. That's thousands of churches and it's incredibly sad. And it got me thinking about this question. The question has really been bothering me and, and that is what, if, what would happen if our church closed? what would happen if it closed? Now, before you start freaking out, one chapel is still healthy. We've been tested for sure. We, 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 we are nowhere near closing down. In fact, we are retooling. We're, we're thinking about how we can be innovative and in moving forward and reach people who need Jesus in a greater way. We're thinking about those things. But if we were forced to shut down permanently, would anybody notice? Would we be missed? Would it matter? Another way to ask this uh, is, are we just a health club or are we actually a hospital where people get well? And if our doors closed, would the only ones who miss it would be our members? See, I think you and I would really miss it. Like, like, like the people who are part of this amazing church, this amazing group of people here, it's incredible, and I really love being your pastor. There's no doubt about that. I love it. And I think we'd miss it if our doors closed, but would anybody else? Would anybody else really care? Would the people of Austin care? Would the people of Buda and Kyle care? Would the people of North Central and South Austin care if one chapel didn't exist? Would anybody really notice? The kingdom of God that Jesus came to preach and to demonstrate is intended to change and challenge everything in our fallen world in the here and now. The kingdom of God is made to transform people. But it's made to be effective in the culture that we live in, and that's been true for hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years. That's why when the disciples asked Jesus how to pray, he said, in Matthew 6, 9, he said, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, the kingdom of God is not something that is for the future, just for heaven. It's not meant to be a way for us to just leave the world behind and kind of get out of here, but instead, the kingdom of God is meant to actually redeem redeem the world in the here and now how by ministering to the poor and marginalized by challenging injustice wherever we find it and by rejecting worldly values that are found in our own culture and by loving our neighbors as ourselves Look at this in Micah 6:8. It says, but he's already made plain how to live, what, do you, what to do, what God is looking for in men and women. It's quite simple. Somebody needs to wake up. It's quite simple. Do what is fair and just to your neighbor. Be compassionate and loyal in your love, and don't take yourself too seriously. <laughs> take God seriously. Look, God has more for you, for us, than to come in here on a Sunday and get our batteries recharged. I mean, that's nice. But Then we go back out in the world and use them all up. There's more than just getting our lives healed and our hearts set free. As much as God loves to do these things and these are amazing things, God has a whole world out there he wants us to love. Jump back to Isaiah 58, verse six and seven. He says, this is the kind of fast day, or we could say this is the kind of worship I am after to break the chains of injustice, get rid of exploitation in the workplace, free the oppressed, cancel debts. What I'm interested in seeing you do is sharing your food with the hungry, inviting the homeless poor into your homes, putting clothes on the shivering ill-clad, being available to your own families. This is the heart of God. And these are the things that break his heart. It's getting quiet in this Methodist church. So often I think we mix these things up because we make it all about me, me, me. Let me just take care of me. Listen to one chapel. Nothing we do to love God means anything unless we love our neighbors as ourselves. Yes. So let me ask you a question, and this is the question of this talk. This is the question, are you willing to open your heart to God's will for your life? Are you willing to surrender everything to him? This is essentially the question Jesus asked a young professional, a really successful guy in Matthew 19, 16. Read it with me. Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Now maybe you can see yourself in this guy, right? I like, like because he was young and prosperous, right? Okay, okay, maybe not. Maybe you can't see that about yourself but he was successful at pretty much everything he did. He was morally upright, he was held in high esteem by his peers and his community, he was a faithful churchgoer, he was a faithful giver, tithing his income probably on the gross. And he, fu- <laughs> Ow! Half the people in here are like, oh yeah, I need to do that, and the other half are like, gross, what, what is he talking about, something gross? This guy followed all the commandments, followed all the commandments of Moses. He was the one who people would point to and say, this is how you do it, that guy, that's that's how you do it. And so I kind of imagine this rich young ruler coming to Jesus, maybe looking for a little pat on the back, maybe a little attaboy, maybe looking for affirmation, like so that, that, that he kind of would receive from everyone else. He might have been looking to Jesus to put his arm around him. Maybe just, you know, begin to tell everybody else, hey, hey, this is how you do it right here. This guy, this guy. Strangely, Jesus' reply to him was rather disappointing. Verse 17, he says, if you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Now, not quite what he wanted to hear, and so he tried to pin Jesus down a little bit more. Verse 18, which ones? Which ones do I need to obey? And Jesus' reply was pretty conventional, right? He says, uh, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, don't steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this guy is feeling better. Why? Because he's thinking to himself, these are the things I always do. He's like, this is awesome. He says, verse 20, all these things, all these I have kept, the young man said. Now, if you're a young man, you are way too idealistic. And we see that here. He's like, I've kept all these things since I was a youth. That's also pretty proud. Like, I can't imagine he kept them all, like for like every one of them. So, in other words, in other words, here's what he does. He says, like, check me out, Jesus. Like, check me out. Ask my rabbi. Check out my Insta stories. It's all there. It's all there. Like, you'll see. You'll see how much good stuff I do. <laughs> really? Now, to me, this is where the young man should have stopped. He just should have stopped. You're good, bro. Don't push it. Don't push it forward. He should have just said, thank you, Jesus, shook it, it, shaking his hand, stuck out his hand and shaking it. I can't figure out why I didn't say that. And walked away. He's like, he should have just walked away. But no, that's not what happened. Let's Look at what happens. He decides to push it a little further. Verse 20, he says, what do I still lack? Dangerous question. In other words, come on Rabbi, this is too easy. Give me a tougher test. And this is when Jesus kind of nails him. Yeah. Verse 21, Jesus answered, "If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me." Oh. Now try to try to put yourself in this man's shoes. Like try to put yourself in like what this guy is thinking in his mind. He's standing there talking to Jesus because everybody's listening, right? Everybody's like hearing what Jesus is saying to him and he thought he was doing really good. He thought everything was going great and then all of a sudden Jesus says, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. You've got to be kidding me, Jesus. You can't be serious. Surely, surely you don't mean sell everything, you must mean that figuratively, right? You don't mean to literally sell everything I own. I mean, I'm super successful. Like, I have a business to run, I have obligations, I have a, I have a family to care for, and I can't go and sell everything. I know, I know. How about I just write a bigger check to the poor? But Jesus' words are still hanging in the air. One thing you lack, he says. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, then come follow me. It was devastating for this young man. Standing in front of all these people, having this conversation with Jesus, because Jesus looked into this man's soul and he diagnosed the condition of his heart. That's what Jesus does. See, on the outside, the young man was doing all the right things, but on the inside, his heart was divided. His possessions and his position were competing with God for supremacy. He hadn't sold out. He hadn't totally surrendered his life fully to the Lord. His status and his stuff had become idols in his life. And the most troubling part of all this was the very next line in Matthew's account, verse 22. It says, when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. This is a hard message to preach to Americans. Because if you make 35,000 a year, you're in the top 1% of richest people in the world. Look it up, it's an incredible statistic. But we have this perspective problem Here, this guy, he couldn't do it. In a moment of decision, he couldn't give it all away. He couldn't surrender everything, and so he turned his back on Jesus, and he walked away and missed out on much. Here's the thing. He walked away, and he missed out on a much more amazing life that Jesus had for him, Um, a, a life that he wasn't quite living yet. So let me ask you this question again. Are you willing to open your heart to God's will for your life? Are you willing to surrender at all? You know, I think it's only when you consider this question that you realize how precious these other things have become to you, and you realize how controlling these other things have become in your life. And I'm just as guilty as you are. And it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. I know both rich and poor people who are obsessed with money, who their hearts divided because of their material possessions or their status. You ever heard of J.R.R. Tolkien? He's the author of *The Lord of the Rings*. Right? It's awesome. Many of you have, might not realize it was a book before it was a movie. <laughs> um, anyway, Tolkien was a preacher. He was a preacher in the 1900s, and he wrote these stories as biblical allegories with spiritual connotations. Like he wanted to provide insight into our spiritual lives. And of course, one of the allegories in this story is the ring of power. In the story, as you may know, the ring needs to be destroyed because it falls in, if it falls into the wrong hands, evil will win, and there's a lot to that. So the ring comes into the hand of Frodo, a hobbit, and he's given the responsibility of getting the ring destroyed. Along for the ride, of course, is Samwise Gamgee, right, the faithful friend, and of course, the tormented Gollum. My precious. But little by little, the deceptive power of the ring begins to control and consume Frodo. The ring becomes so precious to him, so much so that he struggles with the responsibility to destroy it, but there's this part at the beginning of the book, before his journey even really begins, where uh, Gandalf, (laughs) Grandolf, kind of a grandfather, Gandalf the wizard tells Frodo about the dangers that he's gonna face as the one who must bear the ring of power on that perilous journey. And he warns Frodo, right? He warns Frodo the great power the ring has to possess the one who carries it. But Frodo, like every one of us, is like, get skeptical. Like, come on, if it's just a ring, it won't control me. And so as a test, Gandalf challenges Frodo to give up the ring, to destroy it. Try, said Gandalf. Try now. Frodo drew the ring from his pocket again and looked at it. The gold looked very fair and pure. And Frodo thought how rich and beautiful was its color, how perfect was its roundness. It was an admirable thing and altogether precious. When he took it out, he intended to fling it from him into the very hottest part of the fire. But he found now that he could not do so, not without a great struggle. He weighed the hand, the ring in his hand, and hesitating, forcing himself to remember all that Gandalf had told him. And then, with an effort of will, he made a movement as if to cast it away, but he found that he had put it back in his pocket. Gandalf laughed grimly. You see? Listen, this is exactly how it is with the rich young ruler. It's exactly like this, he'd gotten so attached to his identity, he'd gotten so attached to his status to the point that when Jesus asked him to let it go, sell everything he had, and to give it to the poor, he couldn't do it, he, could, he just couldn't do it. Come on, you gotta admit, that was awesome, right? It was, it was, it was good. <laughs> so you are like, I thought that was the end, could that be the end? As followers of Jesus, Anything that becomes more precious to us, anything that becomes more precious to us than our relationship with him has the capacity to be destructive to our lives. To the point where Jesus asks us to let it go. And just like the ring, these are often things that are beautiful and shiny on the outside. Like they're not in and of themselves, they don't seem like bad things, they seem like good and positive things that are all around us. Career advancement, a growing bank account, your spouse, your children, these are, these are all good things. But what is it for you that gets in the way? What is it for you that has the power to possess you? It may not be status, it may not be money, but it might be your career, it might be your habits, it might be your opinions, it might be your lifestyle, it might be your politics. Your relationships, that ring on your finger has been there for years and you like it. My precious. It happens to you, it happens to all of us if we're not careful. So what Jesus said in Matthew six twenty one, he says, for where your treasure is there your heart will be also. And so are you willing to open your heart to God's will for your life? Are you willing to surrender everything that he asks of you? Because it's only when we're confronted with these questions that we find out what's really in there, in your heart. These precious things can keep us from lighting up a dark world, because we're consumed. They'll keep us from living beyond ourselves, keep us living for ourselves. You and I will never experience the freedom and the fulfillment God wants for us until we let go of what we already possess. Only then can we leave a legacy that lasts. In order to receive what God wants to give us, he must empty our hands first, and then we must keep them open as what he's given us starts to light up the world around us. I desperately want us to open our hearts to God and what he's doing and saying in our church. Would you be willing to say, God, break my heart for the things that break yours? Would you be willing to go on a journey together as a church and ask what he wants from us? Here's the thing, when we live this way, it's the only place I found when I looked at the scriptures in Isaiah 58, it's an amazing thing. God gives 12, everybody say 12, 12 promises in return. There might be actually more here, but there's 12 big ones. He says, he says, if you do this, if you'll do this, if you'll give everything up, I'm gonna do something for you that you couldn't have done for yourself. I'm gonna do something for you. He says, I'm gonna do something that changes the whole landscape of the culture you're living in. I've numbered them for you. I want you to look at it on the screen. This is what God says to his people. This is how Isaiah puts it in his prophetic declaration. He says, number one, then your light will break forth like the dawn. Number two, your healing will quickly appear. Do you need healing? God has it for you. Number three, then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Number four. Number five, then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. Number six, if you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. Number eight, he will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. And number nine, will strengthen your frame. Number 10, you will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. 11, your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. Number 12, you will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. I know there's a sense to which, as I share this message that it that it's digging it's digging way down on the inside of each of us and what I want you to hear. In the final analysis of this message, is God wants to give you more than you have now. God's interested in giving. He's he's not afraid of you being wealthy. By all s- standards in the world, you are already wealthy. The issue is, the issue is, is not whether or not. You can be blessed. God wants you to be blessed, but he wants to bless you more than you could imagine. And if we fixate, if we are possessed by the stuff we own, we'll never, we will never become the light that this dark world needs. If we're too consumed with ourselves and with our stuff, our stuff and our status, we will not do the things. And listen, I'm, I'm, I'm aware, these are uncomfortable things the reaching out beyond your circle, the reaching out beyond what you're comfortable with. I get it. But listen, church, I think the culture we live in is in trouble. They are in, we we are all in trouble here. And we have to dig down deep and decide if we're really going to be the light that the world needs. Would you just bow your head and close your eyes right now? And I want to pray with you I want to pray for you and there's two people two kinds of people in the room there's there's a kind of person that's (laughs) saying well I've never heard the gospel told like that but it sounds really attractive to me and I want to give my life away because my life's in a mess and I need what Jesus has for me and if that's you I want to lead you in a prayer today in fact I'm gonna pause right here and I'm just gonna say that whether you've maybe you just have never committed your life to Jesus, but suddenly here in this Sunday, here in this message, here, you just you sense it. He's calling you, and you're like, yes, I want to give this away. My life's not that great anyway. <laughs> I need your help. And if that's you, I want you just to lift your hand right now, right here, right, right in front of me. Yep, yep. I see that. So good over here. Yep, right over here. Anybody else? It's like, like yep, it's me. I need, I need Jesus. I need to give my life away. That's so good. That's so good. Now, the second type of person is a person who's already been following Jesus but realizes, oh, my goodness, I've gotten consumed with my stuff and my status. I'm only following him for what, what's in it for me rather than what's in it for the kingdom. And you realize here in this moment, this is a change you have to make. Jesus has diagnosed your soul and he wants to transform it. So I wanna pray with both groups of people and I want you to say this prayer with me. I want you just to kinda like say it out loud with me and I'm gonna lead you through it. Everybody across the room say, Heavenly Father, Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for what he means to me. A new life. Forgive me, Lord, living for myself. Forgive me, Lord, for being distracted, isolated, consumed. I want to live for you. What you have is better than what I have. (laughs) I want to give myself fully to you. So take my heart, take my mind, take my life, and change it. I want to follow you today. In Jesus' name.